Good afternoon. This is the Executive Girlfriends Group. It is Friday, March 26th. This is Chickie Fitzgerald, the founder of the Executive Girlfriends Group, and it is my pleasure today to introduce our guest, Nancy Solomon. Nancy, welcome. Well, I'm so excited to be on this call with you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. Why don't you give us uh, the same thumbnail background that everyone else has given, and then we'll just dive right into uh, your book and uh, talk about that a bit. Okay, I am an author, counselor, coach, former executive in the uh, retail fashion industry. I have just uh, penned my first book, Impact What Every Woman Needs to Know to Go from Invisible to Invincible, published by Wiley just a few months ago. I have two spectacular, yummy, delicious children, uh, one a little boy who's eight, a little girl who is 12 going on 72, and I have a cat, a dog, and many fish. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's quite the introduction. Well, Nancy, um, we we met actually through a, a service that I use frequently that, that marries uh, together people who are, are looking to talk about what they know and what they have done with people who need to hear uh, that message. And uh, I was just delighted uh, that you were as p- persistent uh, with that as you were and uh, that we were able to line this up for today because uh, I always feel like the speaker that we have on the particular day that we have them is exactly for the people who have called in. And while we also make the recording available to those people who want to listen to it on demand, uh, you know, I think that there's always a particular uh, nugget of, of wisdom that's going to come out of today that's really going to speak to somebody who's on the call. So I really appreciate the fact that, that you share uh, that same vision. And why don't we just kind of dive back into uh, a little bit of your history and what got you to the place where you uh, felt a need to write this book and to really articulate your experience? Because I know you had a, a long, very successful corporate career. I did. Uh, successful to others certainly successful to what it was supposed to look like and what I was uh, raised to think it should look like. And uh, this amazing thing happened. I was making a lot of money. I was working for some very prestigious companies. I was traveling all over the world. It was a very glamorous single lifestyle, and I was absolutely miserable. And it took a lot of courage to acknowledge that. And I believe that you can't move from point A to point B until you acknowledge where point A is. And point A became very clear the morning I woke up and said to myself, how much money will I have to pay me for me to forget how much I hate my life? And as happens in those circumstances, the universe conspired to my benefit. And within a few short months, I was gone on my way out to Seattle and uh, pulled a do-over card. And what did that do-over card say? It said, go back to school and do what you've always known you should do. I had wanted to become a therapist and work with people to help them to reach their potential since I was in junior high. And that was a long, long time ago. And I just knew it. And my family, for their personal reasons, vetoed it. You know, no daughter of ours will become a therapist. I think now that they thought that if I became a therapist, I'd figure out just how dysfunctional the family was, and they didn't want me to know that. (laughs) And so, be that as it is, I always knew what I wanted to do. Wow. And I gave myself permission to, at almost 40 years old, to go back and do it. 
When you were in corporate life, did were there clues that you had that that indicated to you? Um, I mean, other other than just uh, realizing how miserable you were, did you continue to gravitate toward what you wanted to do and and try to carry that out in the way that you did business? And did that just not fit? What, what were your your clues that it was? Time? My clues were instead of having sales meeting, we have group therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's ever asked me that. It's a great question. But, well, um, the reason the reason I say that is because the whole time I was in corporate. Uh, world, I didn't realize why I didn't fit. And now that I've been a consultant for 15 years, I realize I was the internal consultant and I I always belonged as that external observer and not the internal participant. And and it took a long time to figure that out. But once I did, um, you know, then I was able to respond to it and and do what I was meant to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I made a joke about the sales meetings, but it really wasn't funny. I wasn't a fabulous manager of people because I was more interested in who they were than what they did. And that doesn't, that doesn't make for great goal setting in the sales arena. Um, I was concerned if you're not making the cold call, what's going on inside of you that you can't make that call? When a client says, or a customer, potential customer says, I don't want to order XYZ from you, um, how do you react to that? And that just wasn't appropriate for my position. And so everybody else thought I was usually successful. I didn't because I had salespeople who shouldn't have been selling. They didn't want to sell, but it was a job. And so, yes, everything always pointed to that. And there's a freedom. There's a freedom in facing the fear about what, what if I go for that dream, that vision, that hope or aspiration, and it doesn't work. And I needed to switch my mindset to what if it does? So instead wow. of why would I do that, why wouldn't I go back to school at 40? Or why wouldn't I adopt children as a single parent? Or why wouldn't I write a book? Right. Powerful questions. So how did you get past the family not wanting you to do it? Did you just decide that what you wanted and needed was more important? I wish it was that neat and clean. It wasn't. (laughs) Um, I think as human beings, we do what we do until it becomes too painful or we get bored. And uh, it became so painful to walk someone else's path. It became so painful to not be who I am, to not be authentic, to not uh, assist and support and encourage people on their path that I had to move. So when the energy, when it took more energy, Chicky, to uh, stay where I was than to move, mm-hmm. it was time to move. So when it took more energy to stay in New York and pretend than it would have to just like pack my stuff up and move west, I moved west. Fine. And so I'd like to say I had this, it was all together, and it was this nice, neat package, and I planned financially and I had on a map of where I was going. None of that is true. And indeed, most people I know who do incredibly courageous acts maybe don't have the most polished plan, but they have a passion and that goes a long way. Now, had you adopted your children yet or was no. that uh, post no. I got done with my degree, which was just amusing. Going back to school at 40 is fascinating because all of a sudden you're this mature person who's disciplined. 
I had these great work ethics, so I knew how to study. I loved to read, and I was only studying stuff I loved, right? So this was just a whole yummy experience compared to, you know, when I was in college. And I literally graduated and said, oh, darn, I forgot to have kids. (laughs) And there I was, you know, like, well, wait a minute, what's wrong with the picture? Yeah. And I was on the beach living, you know, I always wanted to live on the beach, and I always wanted a golden retriever, so I had my golden retriever, and I always wanted the degree, and I had the degree, and I always wanted the children. And and, uh, Mr. Wright had not yet shown up. So I said, okay, there's many ways we can do this, and adoption is the one I chose. And then four years later, we said, oh, my goodness, I always wanted two children, so I went back and did it again. <laughs> <laughs> and you actually took two very different paths because you've got one uh, one child that is from Cambodia. Cambodia. Right? Uh-huh. Lily was, Cambo- uh, was uh, born in Cambodia. I brought her home when she was six weeks old. She just turned 12. That's the 12 going on 72. And then I decided for the second child that going into a country under siege probably wasn't a great idea. And so I stayed here in Washington State and adopted my son uh, locally. Very interesting. And as I shared with you yesterday, I I also have two children that I had after 40, uh, and one was my natural child, but she was conceived through donor insemination. So is is quite different from her brother who we adopted from Russia. But we did decide to take her with us uh, when she was five and, and he was three when we adopted him. So our kids are actually the same age but uh, uh, just uh, flip-flopped in one being mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Caucasian and one, one being uh, from, from uh, an international adoption. Well, very interesting. Well, your your book isn't your average business self-help book. And, and it really, uh, the thing that uh, impressed me about the book is it really takes the view of you as a total person, which is, is really what the Executive Girlfriends Group is all about. We, we can't just talk about our business lives without understanding how it impacts our personal life and vice versa. Uh, the same thing with our, our social life and our spiritual life and all of that, you know, is, is really woven mm-hmm. together uh, in quite a neat package. So tell me tell me your perspective on, on how all of that wraps together in looking at the potential of performance of people who are in corporate life, as well as that, that whole notion of stop trying to fit in uh, where you don't belong. Hmm. Okay, that's... Uh... That's a four-day <laughs> retreat right there. <laughs> so let's just pick up a few pieces. Um, I, for one, grew up in a generation where when you went to work, you were supposed to, those are in quotes, leave your personal self behind. And that would be like, let's take off our arms, leave them at the door, and when we come back at night at 5 o'clock, put them back on. And I don't certainly mean to offend anybody by saying that. And... Uh, what we've learned in the last, you know, five to seven years is that this generation coming up, and certainly me lagging behind, we really want to bring all of ourselves to work. And I don't think anything made it more clear than last year, this past 18 months, when everything seemed to have been falling apart. And, and I want to tell everybody who's listening that it is often difficult to tell whether things are falling apart or coming together. And so last year... Things were falling apart, and I believe that was in an effort to bring everything back together in a different configuration, and a configuration that's more in alignment with our truth, with our authentic selves. So, for instance, I teach a class called The Psychology of Selling based on the notion that who we are impacts how we sell. 
and historically, most uh, most selling classes are on how to close the deal, you know, how to you know shorten the sales cycle, those kinds of things. And the piece I do is the soft piece where I say, no, 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 no. If you're not closing that deal, it's because of who you are, not the technique you know. Because it doesn't make a difference what technique you have if you're not confident, if you're not self-assured, if you're not on purpose, if you're not passionate about what you're doing. And I know I don't know one salesperson, for instance, who's great at sales who dislikes their product or service. So what I started to do is look at us holistically in whatever field we're in. And I think what separates me from a lot of people is I dare say the G word in the work context, which is God. And it's not from a religious perspective, it's from a spiritual perspective. So I invite everybody listening, you define uh, define what, what spiritual is to you. And what I discovered in my research is that the happiest, most successful people are the people who get it about a life purpose, that they, we came here to get something done. It's usually divinely inspired. And when we're, we're on purpose in our lives, life is easy, it's fun, it's fruitful, uh, it flows. When we're on purpose, we're using our gifts and talents. Those are the things that we're happiest when we're doing. And when we're happy what we're doing, we're more productive and therefore we're more profitable. Absolutely. And so it's a retention issue. It's a, it's a bottom line issue for corporations. And so that's well, and, and my I whole philosophy. You, yeah, I love how you are articulate it, that it, it really is leading your life from the inside out because you can't put on those things that you just talked about. You can't. You can't train, you know, to have that level of self-confidence, and and you can't fall in love with a product, uh, you know, w- without involving that that passion, which comes from inside. And you know, I love that view because you know we see so many people who are out like seeking something as as if they're going to find it outside of themselves. Yeah. And you know, especially if you look at people who are dysfunctional, who are actually trying to run away from something they don't like about mm-hmm. themselves, and everywhere they go, they keep finding themselves. Right. It's amazing how that works. <laughs> where, where's that book? Wherever you go, there you are. Yes. Yes. So one of the other things I love is that you really talk a lot about just looking yourself in the mirror and saying, you know, what did I come here to do and am I getting it done? And while that is a very, very simple question, it is also incredibly complex. Very, very complex because we have this sort of this notion that if we pick something, to be passionate about, somehow something else is left out, right? If we Mm -hmm. say, I'm going for that because that's what brings me joy, I cannot tell you the feedback I got when I told people I was leaving a high six-figure job. Now, this is going back 20 years now, right, 19 years. I'm 37 years old. You know, I'm making gobs of money. I'd worked really hard to get there, and I said, I'm giving it all up to go back to school. So there were two groups of people, those people who thought I was a mishugana, absolutely nuts, and those people who said, you go for it. And generally when people think we're nuts, either we haven't thought it out well or they're afraid that if if we go out and do what we want to do, then they no longer have an excuse to not do what they want to do, right? And so it's really rolling the dice. And, you know, in this economy, I'm not suggesting you all go home and quit your jobs. 
okay, or write resignation letters. What I am suggesting is you figure out what you want. And that is the most powerful question I know how to ask any human being. What do you want? Not what you think you can have. Not what you think you'll be given. Not what the company says they're doing next. But what do you want? What will give, what emotional experience slash spiritual experience do you want in your life? And then strategically figure out a plan to get it. Well, and you you articulate it uh, in one of the promotions for your book. It talks about choosing to be powerful, and and mm-hmm. I think that there's nothing more powerful than doing what you just talked about, which is you know turning the what if, you know if if I had no constraints, what would it look like into mm-hmm. what is? I see it every time, especially in my lar- larger corporations. I see it. It's very funny to me. You know, somebody will hire me as their coach, and they'll say, you know, but I want to go from here to here, but it's going to take me four years. Well, why is it going to take you four years? Well, the company will only level me up, you know, one one notch every 18 months. For every person who tells me that, I can show you two people that I've worked with or I know of or I've heard of who broke those, quote, rules. And I think those rules are guidelines. But those people aren't you. You don't know what you offer, what, what's special about you that the world is waiting for you to show up and contribute and I think that was probably one of the biggest things I learned is that we all have a job to do and nobody can do our job. And if we don't do our job, it never gets done. And so this whole notion of comparing ourselves to others is ludicrous. I mean, people tell me all the time, well, you know, I don't have your talent. Well, you're not supposed to have my talent. Right. You're supposed to have your talent. And when we start to look inward, Chicky, I know you know this, I sense you know this, when we look inward, we discover those treasures. You know, then then we can mine them. We can't mine them until we even bother to look for them. Right, and I have heard a, a statistic, and you and I haven't talked about this, but but I think it'll it'll resonate with you that there there's eighty percent of what we do in our lives that anyone else can do, and and there there really isn't anything terribly unique about it. There's fifteen percent of what we do that other people could learn how to do with training. And, and with coaching, but there's 5% that we're the only ones that we can do uh, that thing that it is. And whether it's inventing a product, whether it's mothering a child from Cambodia, whether it's being someone's spouse, whether it's being someone's best friend and, and being the ear at the time that they need it, that that's something that only you can do. And, and maybe it's that team that you're managing but um, what what do you think about uh, you know how you get your arms around the, that thing that that you have come here to do and and how do you find that uh, that life purpose that is so vital uh, to to becoming invincible rather than being invisible? You know that's that's a great question and it is so much easier than one would think. Um, and I want to point people toward my book without it looking like I'm advertising, but I'm advertising because I actually have a chapter on when your life calls, answer it. Let me, let me say this. I have never met a single woman without a hope, a dream, a prayer, an aspiration to change the world, even if it's only her own world. What I've met is a lot of people who believed what they were thinking or what somebody else told them. So, if you, if you query your friends, your colleagues, your coworkers, your relatives, 
and say, if you could do anything, and money wasn't a factor, and you had no restrictions, what would it be? And I'm telling you, 90% of the time, somebody goes, well, I'd be a travel agent, or I'd stay home and knit and give it, you know, the money to some nonprofit, or I would open up a camp for, you know, uh, disadvantaged children or women over 5'11 or something, right? right? And so it's us giving ourselves permission to have those dreams and actualize it. And I see this every single time I sit down with someone new, a new potential client, and we start to fantasize with magic fairy dust or wand over what they may want. You know what you want. You just haven't gotten out of your way to give it to yourself or sat down and strategically planned how you'll get there. And so everybody listening, I would say, you know, dare yourself to dream because that dream, whatever that is, is a direct straight line to what your purpose is. If, If you're talking about, oh, I do this job, but you know what I've always wanted to do? I can guarantee you that what I've always wanted to do is tied to your life purpose. Yeah, You also know it because you do it if you weren't getting paid for it. Right, right. That's so true. And a couple of weeks ago, well, actually about three weeks ago, I was at a a conference with a group that I I have been going through a 10-month program with called Life Work Leadership. And there was a a group of men. Uh, There didn't happen to be any women in the group, but I think this was actually by design that these men, uh, you know, wanted to surround themselves with other men. But you guys need to go and look at this. It's called DreamBuildersNetwork.com. And these men had done precisely what Nancy said. They had been, they they sat in a room with each other, and there were 20 of them. And they said, you know, what would I do if there were no constraints? And they each told their story. And and if you watch, there's a a little video called Tapestry of Dreams. Well, at this conference, uh, and this was the most powerful thing I have ever seen that that actually puts this into practice, one by one, these men came up to the front of the room, and they shared how their dream had become a reality. Now, for some of them, it had been – you know, 18 months in the making. Others, it had been, you know, decades in the making. And and it was everything from creating a couple's retreat, um, uh, doing things for adoptive families. You know, one guy actually wanted to adopt uh, uh, children from Russia and uh, just amazing things. And the even more powerful thing were the 20 additional men who had joined this group who all came up and they stood on the left-hand side of the room. So on the right-hand side of the room were the men who had founded this group and articulated what they wanted, and they had actually all achieved it. And on the left-hand side of the room were the men who, who were waiting in the wings. And, I'm, you know, I'm sitting out in the group saying, you know, where are the women? And, uh, you know, I, I want to be on a, this a part of <laughs> Yeah, I want to be, uh, you know, part of the Dream Builders Network for women because I really think we can do this. You know, and, and again, it may be that, that our, our day job, um, you know, fuels us being able to do it, uh, you know, versus us leaving our day jobs to go do it. But again, I think that the amount of power uh, that I am learning is, is actually inside of us and inside of our words and the way that we articulate this stuff is really, really amazing. I have a Solomonism, and it goes like this. Perhaps you're uncomfortable, not because your vision is too big, but because you're standing in a place too small. Uh, And the majority of people I meet go, oh, I always want to write that book, but, 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 but. Or I always wanted to open that camp for kids, but, 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 but. 
And I believe that we are not given those dreams and visions without also having the gifts and talents to make them a reality. And whereas we think we're uncomfortable because, wow, that's really lofty. Like nobody in my family's ever done anything that big, right? The truth is, is that the reason we're uncomfortable is that's what we're made for, we're designed for, and we're not living up to that potential. I think that's really true. That's really true. And, um, you know, just being able to get your your dreams captured. And and one of my favorite ways, uh, you know, of of course I'm a writer, so I, I I love to write things down, but... Um, one of my favorite ways is is actually to cut out pictures that that represent what it is that I want to do and and what I'm trying to find now is a place on my wall that I can put them where I can see them every day because uh, I'm in in a, an office space that doesn't really allow me to do that like I, I did in my previous office but you know I, I think if each of us can can really find those images that that and whether it's a word you know uh, success or for me it's you know I want to cut out Diane Sawyer's picture because I, I want her to interview me someday you know I mean that's the kind of thing that I think we just need to grab a hold of and we need to not be afraid to share our dreams uh, with others because that actually makes us accountable and that was the one thing that that these men who stood up who had actually achieved uh, these amazing dreams was they actually held each other accountable and every month they got together and they said you know here here is what my dream is and here's what I did to get there Uh, you know here's here are the steps I took and you know plants come up because seeds have been planted and you can't just sit back and say, you know, I would love to have a tomato plant. Well, have you planted any tomato seeds? I'm laughing, Chicky, because I'm sitting in my office looking at a four-foot-wide, three-foot-high vision board. Oh, wonderful. I have to go out and get one this weekend. And I made and I cut out pictures for months and months and months, and I literally in the middle is the sun, and each ray is a different segment of my life, whether it's family, my spiritual life, my business life, my physical health, etc. And I look at it every day. Like I'm looking at one that says, "Life uh, life takes confidence. Well, it does. Or what is the truth, right? right? And so, you know, when I talk to people who just sort of meander through their lives, um, a lot of times we meander because we just haven't stopped to ask ourselves the key questions like, what do I want? What will it take for me to have impact? What did I come here to do? Because the minute I figure that out, I can get it done. Right. Well, I would like to open it up if anybody has comments or or questions or would just like to talk about uh, your dream before we go to the regular part of our call. But um, would anyone like to chime in? I forgot to put my camera on. I'd love to hear from people. Uh, This is Peggy. The only thing I want to say is I think you hit it so it's your passion, whatever your passion is. And it could be to live inside a big corporation. I also started... I've worked for three Fortune 100s. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, I think it all depends upon what your passion is. In my case, I think I'm kind of like Chicky. The handwriting was on the wall. But I think I read an article not too long ago about recognizing that passion is an important characteristic of a leader or an executive in a company. And it kind of hit me funny because, I don't know, that's, You've got to do what you're passionate about. And I just, I think that's why I was on the call today, because I had a bad day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
That's because I wasn't doing what I was passionate about. <laughs> Peggy, is, has your day gotten better? It's better. I'm smiling. <laughs> I just had to blow off some follow-up work because I said, you know, when I when I get in that mood, I better do it on Saturday morning or Friday night. You know, when I get in that, I'm do- I like to de- deliver stuff when I'm up because, yes. you, know, you know, even if it's an email or a proposal because you can be so slanted, but I need a board. I'm looking at my desk and I've got kids' schedules, phone numbers, old pictures from when they were babies, you know, everything, calendars, all that stuff. I don't have anything. It's just all a bunch of stuff that makes me feel busy. Right. That's Certainly good. Not. You know, they say, look where you're going. Like when when I was a kid, I would be tripping, and my mom would say, look where you're going. And, and I, that's really stead me well. Like, look where you're going. Not necessarily where you are, but where do you want to go? How do you want to feel? Really important. How do you want to feel? And what do you want to get done? Critical. Critical. So, Peggy, right. put put some pictures up there of where you want to be a year from now. Good. Physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And then let me know how that goes for you. Okay. Okay. All right, thanks. Great. Anybody else? And Marge, I see you've joined. I did. <coughs> Sorry, I missed the first uh, half hour or so, but uh, it's a very inspiring type of uh, topic. And, and uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, I- I've been feeling more inspired than I was let's say, the last couple of months with, with job searching, et cetera. And, and a note on the vision board, I, I used to keep a vision board. I just had a, a piece of uh, poster board. You know, like my daughter had a leftover poster board from a school project, and I thought, let, let me stick that up on the wall. And I put a picture of, of, of the type of dog I wanted to get and, you know, a house I wanted to get and things like that and little little sayings. I had, I had a, a section for my daughter also where I put words like believe in yourself and, things like that, and, and when I moved, I, I didn't put it back up, but I think I'm going to put it back up now. Oh, wonderful. Great idea. And updated. And by the way, it's your vision board. So it's wonderful, but we spend to think of others, but keep in mind how much time we spend as women thinking about what everyone else needs. So just make sure that it stays balanced. So this is about what you want for you, too. Yeah. Right. I, had, I had a little section for my daughter on it. <laughs> But I think I'll have to put one up herself. Yeah, there you go. I think that's a great idea. And and uh, my daughter is is twelve, going on I don't know what age. But uh, <laughs> you know, we're I I just keep trying to uh, you know keep her focused on on where she's going and trying to have a good vision of that. So I think maybe we'll make the vision board a uh, family project this weekend. Sounds great. Great idea. All right. Any other comments? All right. Well, Nancy, it has been wonderful, and uh, I can't wait to get this one posted because I think there are a lot of people who aren't available on Friday afternoons who really need to hear uh, this kind of message. And again, whether whether you're in corporate America and are actually a corporate escape artist just trying to figure out when to get out or, or those who really actually belong where they are, but maybe it's so that the paycheck can fuel, uh, you know, your passion outside of work, or maybe you find some amazing uh, place that you want to go within your corporate life. Uh, I, I think all of those things are absolutely possible, and going from invisible to invis- invincible is what this is all about. 
Thank you so much for having me on. It's it's a great group, and I wish you all the best. Okay, Nancy, thank you so much. All right, bye-bye now. Okay, bye-bye. All right, let me turn off the recording.